I recommend Damn clammy nice. hands. Clammy hands uh, make for a better clap. Yeah, that makes sense. It makes for a little more resonance. My hands are clammy right now. The, yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's, I thought that was just because of the Delta or uh, Delta. Well, maybe it Lambda. is. Maybe that's the key to being, you know, a good podcaster. You have to at least have the Delta variant. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you're going to if you're going to do podcasting at this point in the game, a useless trade, a trade that none should do, uh, at least have COVID. Totally. Yeah. That's the least you can do. Yeah, it is sort of the, the bare minimum. <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, more like the scare minimum. Um, speaking of COVID, uh, let's let's just get this one out of the way. Griffin, things in L.A. seem pretty terrible. It's it's it's, it's we're back, dog. Listen, I saw a picture. I saw a picture of people cutting things that are actually cake. And I'm like, oh, what is happening? So like we're just and rewind. We're, I'm being I'm being rewound. Uh yeah 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 it's already it's already stupid out here again yeah um, which which is awesome Austin's back to stage I, four I I went back to L A beginning of June and um man our old neighborhood because I hadn't I had not been in L A since November and then I went back in June to move out and in our old neighborhood Griffin there's a lot more tents than there were in November. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, there, and there was already plenty of tents before. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's um, and, and a lot of empty apartment complexes, you know, some streets, it's hard to say what, who, who's, are there more people on the street or in the houses? It's so hard to say these days. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, LA definitely, there was a huge morale drop when you, Jared and Joe Rogan left together Um <laughs> And just, uh, I don't know, you abandon us. So what are we supposed to do? So now now we let COVID come back and stop trying to do any kind of housing policies. We just fucking, (laughs) man, once you take the, uh, culture and events out of living in LA, there's really only the weather Mm -hmm. and and the, and the cloud sharks. Don't forget that. The what? (laughs) The, the cloud sharks. They fly, oh, they bite, they feed. Don't don't make me explain Cloud Shark in 2021. You don't have to. I'll just, you know, remain stupid. I, I did. I did want to ask you, though, Jared, Jared, yeah. Jared, Jared Bauer, who is back on the podcast. Um, how, why did you leave L.A.? How does it feel to be gone from this psycho city? Honestly, it feels great. So I left LA. I mean, you know, so I was looking for last time we talked, I was in New Mexico. My parents live, you know, mostly quarantining for pandemic reasons. Um, and, you know, ha- having been away for so long, you know, eventually you just kind of realize you stop missing it. And really, um, have either of you guys ever seen the movie uh, Departures? It's a Japanese movie. Oh, yeah. No. Okay. It's not very, it's not very famous, but it like won the best foreign Oscar movie. in like 2008 or something. But anyway, um, you know, the most liberating thing has been just lifting the burden of self-expectation to become successful in Los Angeles. Like, I just don't care anymore. And that used to be everything to me. And so just Mm. I can't tell you how strong or just how much of a difference it is to have that burden off my back. You know, anyway, that movie Departures is all about like departing from dreams and transitioning into like new dreams and like new stages of your life and stuff. So that movie came to mind while going through that. 
movie's good as shit. Um, I'll say that. So, say that right now. So like, so was it really location based? Because you know, I hear you can't you can't run from yourself. Or was it was it self imposed? Or could you not get to the to the post success lifestyle without leaving LA? Um, I think that there's a lot of elements about LA, uh, you know, and, and when I say location, it's not only location, but it's also like the kind of the culture, the atmosphere, the vibe, kind of the idealist elements of that city, which are palpable when you leave, when you're outside there for a while, you're like, wow, yeah, I mean, walking the streets of LA, you do feel like you're saturated in narcissism and desperation. Um, because that's how I felt. And um, so it has been... Um, and, and like, there are certain things, um, about like, <sighs> like the, some very performative elements of being someone who wants to make it in Hollywood, because there's very much like a ideological dress code that you have to adhere to if you want to make it in a certain stage of Hollywood or be let in certain doors. And I'm sure that exists to some extent in every industry, but in Hollywood, I think it's, um, particularly dogmatic. And just being able to get away from that, I think, is also uh, such a huge relief. Yeah. And it's also I 100 I, I percent agree with the sort of the the do, like uh, the dogma of it, because, I, you know, I am definitely uh, excommunicated from several churches of comedy out here in L.A. Um, for not having um, exactly dogmatic views, especially during the election. Yeah. Um, the election made a lot of people hate us. <laughs> wait, 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 which election? We were just like all these 20, 2020. I mean, all of them but 2020 2020 yeah well because not that we were like pro-trump because obviously no but we were like you guys do realize that like trump is symptomatic and that biden's a symptom of the same disease and it's going to be very bad no matter what um and people yeah. did not take kindly to that yeah i got in a screaming match with somebody i've known since i was six years old uh two days ago uh based on like kind <laughs> of culture war stuff and me kind of i mean i was being a little bit of a troll kind of a shit kicker because you know, if I'm going to get in a screaming in a screaming match with someone, it might as well be somebody who knows me very well. Um, sure. But, but uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> like if you try to complicate you, the fact, if you try to complicate the narrative that there's a good guy and a bad, uh, like a good side and a bad side, people can get vicious. Yeah. yeah. And well, it's especially, absolutely. especially the, there's another version of that where it's like, you don't even necessarily have to complicate that narrative. We just have to reposition where the polls are. And it's like, the question is less Democrat Republican versus like, uh, hyper capitalism versus like people oriented pseudo socialism or whatever. Um, and if you just like frame things that way, people lose their fucking minds where you're like, look, if you're like, you say that these politicians care about it and you know, they don't want to have Medicare for all or whatever, then like, do they really give a shit? Uh, and people are like, of course they do. And you're like, well, it doesn't seem like they do. And then they throw up and yell. Um, yeah. and it's very funny to me. Funny you guys want to hear, you guys want to hear the point that made him scream at me? I think, I think you guys might also hate me for this. So be prepared. Um, <laughs> I'm excited to hate. Okay. The hating shit is something we're really great at. So I was trying to explain to him that I think that it is a tragedy, but a kind of inconvenient truth that Fox news is kind of killing it right now. Mm-hmm. Because Fox I mean, news, like, Look, they're going to create a boogeyman out of like anyone on the left, no matter what. However, it's just so much the case that the left is giving them like excessive things to react against that is making them seem, you know, like they're not just trying to, you know, chase a boogeyman. And they also are doing a much better job at capturing 
uh, like YouTubers and bringing them to Fox News and really amplifying their voices in a way that CNN and MSNBC have never been have not done in the past and continue not to do. I, I certainly agree with that part in terms of yeah. like transitioning into the future. I 100 yeah. percent agree on the second yeah, part. I think yeah. like yeah. Fox News to me is very like Mitch McConnell esque, which is like what they do sucks. Their approach to what they do is grounded in being mostly assholes. But they're extremely good at it. Oh, yeah. And that's like that's the thing It's like it's hard to argue that it's like like the critical race theory thing is like it's a very stupid conversation. They've made up a lot of things that aren't really true or real, but like it's the kind of thing they get mad about. And enough people on the Internet left are bad enough at explaining things that they have plenty to fucking work with. Um, That's exactly the point I'm trying to make. So, yeah, we agree. Yeah, I think the I think the big thing that, that I would say that might might actually make people not hate you as much with just sort of the vague foxes like killing it but more the sense that something i get frustrated with is that the left seeds ground on important issues like big tech and like and like if we seed territory and Fox News are the only people that covers it, then yeah, like that's a huge problem because in my opinion, I don't like that Facebook can like, you know, decide elections and then like, and have such a, like a sway and stuff. Yeah. But if you say that on the left, you know, you are a, like a reactionary grifter and, and that's how Fox News is able to have every so often a story that's actually good. Right, well, the argument, <clears throat> the, the thing with the big tech stuff that's so frustrating is that like people I don't even think the left, I think the actual left is pretty good on these questions. They're just underrepresented in like actual media slash like not as big a faction, but like the center left, like moderate Democrat zone, um, the self-appointed left, even though they're deeply centrist, um, like they're so bad on the big tech questions because like they can't distinguish between like Facebook's ability to moderate its own platform. And like when Joe Biden is like, we're going to tell Facebook what to moderate. And like, they can't distinguish between like how those two things are different and how the second one is like very bad, like very bad in obvious ways. Um, Mm -hmm. And the first one is like also bad, but it's bad in a way that is like structurally inevitable and like has always been true and isn't like a new thing. Whereas like, the fucking Joe Biden being like, we're going to tell Facebook about what misinformation is good and what information is bad. And it's like, well, no, you're not. That's that's fucking terrible. That's a nightmare shit. Um, it's real, real for crazy, real bonkers stuff. Yeah, Griffin, you mentioned you mentioned the term uh, reactionary grifter. And honestly, I don't th- I think both of those words are redundant and meaningless. I mean, a grifter. Like, I mean, really calling someone a grifter is really just saying, I don't like what you have to say. Therefore, I'm accusing you of just doing this purely for profit. And then a reactionary. I mean, I don't know. Like, honestly, I feel like that term is just kind of thrown around by people to like, you know, indicate some sort of end to the argument. But really, all you're saying is that, you know, they're passionate about something and they're speaking out against it. Yeah. Well, this yeah. is and, and that and, and, you know, I, I, I people call me that. That's that's why I mentioned it. I know. But like, <laughs> but is, I, I know. But like if anyone ever calls me that, like I'm going to make a point to say, like, look, these terms are stupid and meaningless. Like, that's all I'm saying. Like that. That's what that's see, the this, perspective I'm trying to put forward. Like they just, yeah, they just shut down discourse conversation. and conversation. Mm-hmm. This is like, this gets to one of my core issues with like internet politics discourse on, on both left and right, but also like definitely in this like center left, vaguely left area is like fucking people don't define their terms in a meaningful way at all. And just sort of say words uh, as yeah. though there is like a framework for meaning for them. And it's like, look, there are grifters like the Krasenstein brothers are grifters. Ted, uh, Tim pool is big time a grifter. Cause like they, 
are people who claim to be ideological bastions whose ideology flips every other day because they're clearly trying to get Patreon subs. Like those people are real. There also are people who are impassioned about things and get paid money to talk about them who are not that. And lumping them all together means that the word becomes meaningless. It's the same thing with reactionaries where it's like, yeah, there are people in positions of power and stuff who like are actively opposed to changes to the status quo that don't directly benefit them. That's a real category of person. It's not just everyone who like you don't Has like a political take. Yeah. Like the words okay, mean things. Like, it's very frustrating that people don't use them in ways where they mean things. Mm-hmm. I agree, Luxa. Yeah. So the first people that you mentioned, Lux, I'm not familiar with the Kassenstein brothers, but I do know who Tim Pool is. And <laughs> we'll, we'll get you hooked on them, dude. The Kassensteins <laughs> fucking rule. Uh, the Kassensteins whip ass. They're twins. They live next door to each other. That's and they, a whole other episode. They mix their po- they mix their podcasts, so one twin's in your right ear and one twin's in your left ear. It's so evil. It's so fucked. It's so fucked. So I don't listen to Tim Pool, but I am just curious for the sake of conversation, like what makes him a grifter that's more so than, you know, I'm sure that Chapo Trap House, you know, is aggressive about pointing people to their Patreon. I mean, the Young Turks are extremely aggressive in getting people to, you know, subscribe to their uh, network. Like, what's the difference? So to me, there's a difference of sort of there's a distinction between being earnest. Earnestness, yeah, I think, like is dumb, the difference. I think, I think it's like, I, I, well, do, they be, do they believe it or not? I know. But like, that's such a I struggle with that all the time. And telling somebody that like, you know, hey, man, you're just like performing an opinion. You're unauthentic. Like, I struggle with that all the time because I feel that way about certain people. But it's such an ugly thing to presume of somebody that I try right, not to do it. Um mm-hmm. But I, the but meaningful I hear distinction with someone like Tim Pool is that like you can look at the shit he said and it's internally contradictory and he claims to have like this specific ideological position that he undermines at every turn. In which case, when you sell yourself as I'm a bastion of X ideology, I just don't do it or care about it. He might just be dumb, though. Right. Like, that's the like, other I thing is the Krasensteins got into it for money. Yeah, the Krasensteins that, are definitely why that's a perfect example. Tim Pool to me is like so dumb. Yeah, he that, might, like, he might actually is, like think he's doing something. I, it is. I'm willing to concede that it is conceivable that Tim Pool is just a very stupid man. Um, that's definitely well, possible. I, I, I haven't seen any of his stuff, but I, I had a friend that was on his show once and I watched that one and nothing about it offended me, but I know he makes like 16 videos a day. So there'd be a lot for me to catch up on. That's another question. How do you guys fucking know this shit? I mean, I can't imagine you guys are watching Tim Pool and Ben Shapiro all day. Fucking shit mm-hmm. gets retweeted into our respective timelines constantly. Because of the people um, that we know. But, and also but, like, but I, I will say, Jared, though, it is it has been hard because I, I do do a show on Twitch about the news. And like when I was unemployed during the pandemic, yeah, I had like four hours to just let that poison in and like get all of it. But now I'm like, fuck, I was at work. I don't even know why people are mad at this yet. Yeah. yeah. And I have a well-documented sleep problem. <laughs> <laughs> so how much hate watching um, do you do, Lux? <laughs> I mean, you know, I mix it in. It's like, well, it's not just hate watching, right? It's, it's boring to watch the left wing shit. We know the takes. Like, like I'm sorry. Like, I, I like for instance, like I know what Kyle Kalinske is gonna say. I know what Crystal Ball is gonna say. Like, I know what they're gonna say on all these topics. It's like way more fun to like watch someone like swing and miss, right? And like even like you listen to Chapo, and it's like cool. Some dudes who have like a relatively similar position to me, but know less about history and social theory, are gonna explain the social theory and history of the situation to me. Like, I don't fucking think so. Like, it's a waste of my fucking time Mm -hmm. more video games on that channel would be cool yeah yeah i mean they need help sometimes they're good but like the the point is that like they they're like everyone said a lot of the left-wing stuff it's like i know that stuff 
Um, The more interesting element of the discourse is like the sort of right wing stuff, especially in the context of certain things that are, again, like internally contradictory to their positions. It's very interesting to watch them kind of reconcile those things. Also, they have bigger platforms than the left on the Internet. So like their stuff does like affect people more. And it gets retweeted into the old timeline and whatnot all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, It's trash, though. Have you guys ever seen the, uh, the movie Philomena? Oh, yeah. Dude, that movie haunts me. And uh, it's, such a, it, it, it's such it's just a resonator like a, for sure. It resonates because like the, the premise of the movie is that like uh, Steve Coogan is like this, this like embittered atheistic kind of Scrooge. And he thinks Philomena's who's this old woman is super stupid because she doesn't see the horrible things in the world. And then at some point in the movie, she just tells him like, look, it's not that I don't know these things. It's that I just don't want to think about them all the time. because I don't want to spend my life being angry. And um, every time I think about getting more involved in kind of culture war stuff, I remember Philomena's words of wisdom and I second guess myself because like, do I really want to do this? Like, because it's going to be ugly. You're always going to be unpopular to some people. And honestly, you're just going to have to think about things that are just unpleasant. Yeah. So the way that I reconcile that, because it's definitely a thing that appeals to just sort of like smooth out the old brain and like not worry about shit Mm -hmm. is like. So I do a lot of like outreach and canvassing and talking to people stuff on behalf of like socialist movements and candidates or like political things that I think that I care about. Um, And you end up having talking to people who are like, that makes sense to me. But Ben Shapiro said it's bad. Um, And so having an understanding of like why Ben Shapiro said it's bad and what that argument is or you know, how Dave Rubin's explanation of free speech isn't actually what those words mean or whatever. Right. Like gives you a way to communicate with people about those things. That's important. If you want to actually be persuasive on these questions of like, how do I win these sort of like sort of right leaning center guys over to the left, which like it has been you know reasonably successful in that respect. Because a lot of people just say, oh, Ben Shapiro is short and he read the lyrics to WAP, lol. And it's like, yeah, that's not exactly going to like shake off a Ben Shapiro fan. Like you do have to like sort of meet them at where their level is and like what where they're at with their content. Yeah, I mean, that's the number one. I mean, honestly, that's my number one. I think it's the best advice about organizing I've ever gotten. And it's the thing that I will tell anyone. It's like you just have to meet people where they're at. Like you can't act like you have access to a special secret knowledge they don't have. And you, for instance, yeah, like my, my dad loves Joe Rogan. And so like, I ha- I can't like say that like Joe Rogan sucks shit. I like tell him that like, I'll watch Joe Rogan episodes and I like this episode he did with X. But then, you know, when Joe Rogan says something stupid, my dad is much more likely to like, listen to me about it. Yeah. So it's like, it becomes a, a becomes a way of communicating. You just have to like be aware of the shit for sure. I mean, I'm doing um, a little yeah. bit of that. Uh, I mean, like I've been doing, uh, I've been kind of like on a series of reading books that like I've been told not to read at one point or another, but, um, and then I'm trying to balance that, on, that. I saw that on Instagram. Who told you these are the cursed books? Wait, what books <laughs> are the cursed books also? I'm super curious. <laughs> okay. So one of the cursed books is uh, fanciful nonsense by Alan Sokol and Jean Brickmont. Which is, sure. mm-hmm. um, which I think is really important for every, I mean, not the whole book, because the whole book is kind of just a lot of like, you know, kind of breaking down how these people abuse certain concepts. But I think there are some points in the introduction and epilogue that kind of like make light of like a real um, problem that philosophy and humanities departments have in kind of like taking responsibility for the ideas that they put out and also just like, you know, actually being critical enough of the ideas that they put out. Cause really there's unlike the science departments, which, you know, everyone's incentivized to use hard facts to prove each other wrong. 
Um, you know, it's relatively easy to imagine how pure sophistry can just like get through the academy and onto bookshelves. Oh, right. This was the book, the Sokol book that he followed up after the Sokol hoax, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So why is this not allowed though? Because that sounds like a topic that's interesting. So, um, so is he a canceled person? I don't think he's canceled. I mean, this book was written in like the nineties. So, um, it's kind of got increased relevance today because, you know, because of figures like Jordan Peterson and, uh, others as well, like postmodernism is now a term that most people are relevant and people are curious about. And so, um, having read, read another book that I'm not supposed to read, which was uh, cynical theories by James Lindsay, that's how I learned about the uh, Sokol book. But just to make sure that you okay. guys don't think I'm too crazy, I also have been reading. Oh, uh, I can't think you're crazy because I don't know why these books are bad. Oh, okay. Still. I like well, so I, so I, I like also have been cool. reading Mapping the Margins by Kimberly Crenshaw because I'm trying to be, you know, balanced and, you know, uh, read, <laughs> read all sorts of stuff. I, I, I think the Crenshaw book and the Sokol book sound great. Fucking Lindsay's a dipshit. <laughs> I'd love to hear why, because I kind of like him and I understand that he's an asshole. But, you know, I don't really care, you know, if I just someone, think he's like, someone's character, it's, his work yeah. is so his work is so like deeply without rigor and like isn't really interested in engaging with like sort of obvious like he's arguing the top level arguments of arguments that are like multi layered and isn't engaging with the sub layers of those arguments. There's always these really funny. These things happen a lot where he like debates intellectuals about things. And it's very clear he doesn't actually know what he's talking about. Um, and I'd love you for you to writing. send me a link for that stuff because I read the book and then I read all of the criticisms I could find. And there were some very fair criticisms, especially when he does engage with identity politics um, and, or like intersectionality scholars. There are some points where he basically cherry picks definitely the probably most cynical or most like unforgiving quotes from these works and ignores uh, some other quotes that sure. would actually kind of qualify the earlier points. However, clip chimping, as they call it on Twitch. OK, sure. However, I haven't been able to find <laughs> anything that really discounts his thesis. And I'll also push back in that, like, I don't see the difference between what he does and what other academics do in terms of he's just, you know, cool. citing source material, analyzing the source material and like building arguments, you know, I like he, I don't know the specific text of the book, but like there was a great interview with him and Lamont Hill about like critical race theory stuff where Lamont Hill started to explain the connection between critical race theory and critical theory generally and what those things are. And you could just watch Lindsay not know what he's talking about and begin to panic. And it's like this is the, this is this is the argument. I think I've seen this. This is where Lamont Hill starts bringing up Gramsci. Yeah. Yeah, eight, yeah. 85 million views on YouTube. Well, to, I don't, to me, I, it's, I, it, it, I don't, I don't know if I agree like, with you there. I mean, I think in, in the way I interpreted it was that I thought that James Lindsay was actually kind of excited. I mean, I've listened to a lot of Lindsay and he knows what he knows this shit because he's written about Gramsci and uh, he's you know written so much about the Frankfurt School. So it doesn't strike me as likely that he just wasn't engaging because he didn't know what he was talking Here's about. Here's what I propose since since our audience probably hasn't seen they the video and neither have yeah. I it, is that, you know, uh, consult your texts and maybe we start a podcast where we read cursed books each week, maybe some sort of book club uh, where we read books we're not allowed to read. I think that's incredible. I think that's important. I mean, I'd be open. To, um, I, if you want to have I'm, a discussion about doing this as a, as a regular segment with Jared, where you all read a cursed book and discuss it, I would not be opposed. So I think that'd be uh, fun. Unfacetiously, Lux, literally, I want you to send me anything that's like any reviews of Lindsay, because like right now I'm in a stage where like, hey, this guy's kind of making some sense to me. And so I've actually even got Austin 
you know, who works at Wisecrack. I've got him listening to the stuff because I want to know, please tell me this is wrong before I, you know, like accept it as right. Because there are some things, some things. Yeah. I would need to read the text for sure. But I think my thing with the Lamont Hill thing is whether or not he knows Gramsci, the point, but the point that is more telling to me is that like, it feels like, and in other interviews with him also, it just feels like the, he, he, like you're saying, he kind of cherry picks things and compartmentalizes things in a way that ignores the like interplay of ideas. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we could, if you want to talk about space jam, we can, the only thing I'm going to say about that is, (laughs) (laughs) is that like, so that well, Lindsay was a co-writer on that. Explains why I hate it so much. <laughs> so many things. Um, like I think that, and one of the things I was actually talking about Austin to before is that like so many of the criticisms against people like James Lindsay and um, uh, Jordan Peterson, for example, are well, the actual point of the philosophers was a little bit more nuanced, and he's drawing a characterization of them, and that's a fair criticism. However, I think that philosophers. And in the in the academy in general, think that that's enough, and then they can immediately abdicate responsibility of how these distilled ideas. I mean, regular people who are currently having these critical race theory, you know, very fiery discussions, are never going to understand Hegel to the level of nuance that you know a philosopher might say that he is supposed to be read. So, I mean, I think that these philosophers need to maintain responsibility for the reality that these ideas will never be communicated in their purest form as they flow downwind. Yeah. I see. I mm-hmm. think that both those things are true. That I almost segued us away. I said, I almost segued us out of this, but we're back on. I think it that both those things are true in that. I think you're right that like, there's a huge problem with like the Academy in terms of like making shit accessible versus inaccessible and making their ideas like actually clear. And I also think that like, if you're going to engage with those ideas and say why they're bad, you have to engage with the actual ideas and not just like a made up version. I think both things are true. Um, and like, I think you're making a good, like the argument you're making about the Academy is correct. I just think that also the failure on Lindsay's part is also, you know, there's just, I think both things can happen at the same time. So, uh, what, all right, well, whatever you want to talk about space jam or should we just keep talking about this? This is y'all's show. Um, yeah. Also, well, by the way, I'm, speaking of this is the game voice podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. 27 uh, minutes. You know, we have to get it eventually. I'm Lux. I'm Griffin. And we're joined by, uh, Jared Bauer, formerly from, wisecrack and now somewhere outside of los angeles soon to be from finland well i live wow. in finland but not Boxed. i'll never be from finland fair enough we can edit that yeah because so <laughs> yeah, finland's very small and it'd be really easy to find anyone just with a with a last name and the country it'd be super <laughs> it's so easy. small it's half the, the whole country is half the population of la county well i wanted to i wanted to recenter back on on, on your story jared for a little bit because I, was, I would like that we discussed the sort of the state of things and we discussed you leaving la and sort of you know leaving this job at wisecrack i and and you're starting a new YouTube channel, if, yeah. if, I, if I'm correct. Is that correct? That is correct. And I'd love for you to get all those plugs in at the end, and I'd love to hear more about that channel. But I watched your first video um, that you put on the channel, and I thought it was super interesting. And a part that stuck out for me uh, was that you thought that YouTube was going to evolve in a different way from when you started the company and then yeah. where it is today. <laughs> yeah. And I promise this will segue actually into gaming, but but it will. But we, I do want to start there. And yeah, I was really interested by that idea and that analysis. And yeah, could you could you kind of give us the gist of what you were saying in that video? Yeah. So if you go back to like 2013, which is the t- uh, which is when we basically started Wisecrack, it was a very interesting time in YouTube's history where like you know um, 
there were uh, brands like the Fine Brothers, Good Mythical Morning, and like these things were starting to pick up major traction and their numbers were just insane. You know, like eight, eight million people a morning were watching Good Mythical Morning. And because of all this explosive growth, um, the business community started like kind of hovering around YouTube and like there was a big Newsweek um, cover that had all these YouTubers on, on the front. So it was a very exciting time and also a time where a lot of capital investment was being made in YouTube, uh, including our business, which was Wisecrack. And much of the, you know, the reason all of these business plans for all of these brands, when I say brands, I'm talking about, you know, including Vice, BuzzFeed. I mean, those are the big ones. Those are the industry leaders, um, you know, who, if you follow digital media news in the last two or three years, have just been cutting staff and cutting staff because then, you know, the, the none of these business plans worked out. But anyway, so like also like, um, you know, Thrillist and, um, Refinery, Same thing happened refinery in comedy. 29. I mean, like a, a big, a big sort of like career thing in those early 2010s and, and a few years after that was you went to UCB, you got on a UCB team and then you started to get funny or die spots or like little, right. you know, little shorts there. And that shit all dried up. And then college humor was the spot. If you were on a mod team at UCB, then you go to college humor, but then that dried up too. And it's like, there is no direct sort of industry route. You actually have to make the videos yourself now. Yeah, exactly. So all like the, the amount of like brands that just fail, fell apart, like the, the, the failure rate is something like 98%. And the reason is, is because everybody assumed that, you know, these advertising that the advertising would command a similar rate that television would. And this is something that's reasonable to believe because I don't think that there's any actual uh, premium on a television ad that plays, you know, in front of a David Spade show that gets 300,000 viewers and like a wisecrack video that gets the same amount of viewers, except, you know, David Spade is getting paid you know, like three more zeros than we are on his ad, even though it's the same thing. So really the, the biggest secret in advertising is that everyone's getting a great deal advertising on YouTube. But the reason that this happened is because basically the plat, like Google took all the money. They just took it all um, in the sense that like, let's say that you're Dove Soap and you have a million dollars to spend on advertising. Now, if you're a, a marketer, you could, uh, you know, do a lot of work and look for small brands like Wisecrack or some other YouTubers and say, all right, I'm going to spend $300,000 here, $200,000 here, whatever. You could do that or you could just make one call to Google, give them the whole million dollars and they have data that's so sophisticated that they know when people are out of soap and then we'll start and, and we'll start feeding them ads when they're out of soap for Dove Soap. It's way more optimized in terms of like the you know, ability to, uh, you know, uh, transfer to real revenue. So it's just that these brands can't compete. And, um, you know, Google has basically monopolized like, you know, half of the advertising industry. Yeah. It's like on YouTube, I don't know this is something I've learned from my increased role in, in the YouTube stuff at Wisecrack is like they have these programmatic ads, right. That you have to schedule into your video. They pop up at some point, whether it's like a, a banner or like a little clip of like someone being like, make sure to buy my car or whatever. And like, that's what happens when you give YouTube or give Google what like X amount of money, they program you into X amount of programmatic ads that just pop up. And that's so much more efficient than like, that's why Wisecrack is always sponsored by like these kind of small brands. Cause those kind of small brands can't give Google the requisite money to make that worth it. 
but the companies that could give enough money to keep a YouTube channel afloat by themselves all can just give the money to Google and it's more efficient. It's faster. Right. So as YouTube sort of became less and less stable to build a real big boy like production company, as in like a full blown company, like that didn't necessarily mean that like YouTube is in a way to be successful now. In fact, like YouTube is still huge in, oh, in, yeah. in, in just a slightly different way. And, 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 I, and I wonder if you could articulate what that way is. Well, you know, YouTube is so much bigger than television now. I mean, it dwarfs television. So there's always going to be exceptions to every general rule I say that is good or bad. I mean, in terms of generating gigantic numbers and making a lot of money, you know, it is still a little bit of like, winning the lottery, winning the kind of genetic lottery that you're just like so charismatic that for some reason your, you know, your personality just resonates on the platform. Um, but, you know, I think that the more uh, tenable thing is going to be those people with like 30,000 really true fans that, um, you know, and people make very like zero dollar content in their rooms where they interview people over Zoom or they just make their own sketch comedy in their room, like the guy um, Long Beach Griffey, for example. I think it's just going to be more of that. Like, it's just going to be. Wait, more. There's a guy named Long Beach Griffey. Oh, he's the best comedian on YouTube. Yeah. Oh, God suck it, Griffin. It. He stole your name. He stole your title. He stole your he location. Town. Yeah, you're <laughs> fucked now, dude. I have to kill him. Your whole life got fucking jacked. I really, in this case, there. I think there can only be one. Yeah, like, dude. You got to <laughs> Highlander this guy into oblivion. <laughs> what the fuck? Well, well, Sorry, Jared. Is I have to kill your favorite last comedian. Name. His name is Anthony yeah, Griffin. Typ so typically it's a last name chump. Um, so uh, yeah, like uh, you're right that it's like now it is like about having, it's not about being the biggest. It's about having a small, but like fervent and passionate, like fan group um, and, and sort of sustaining like what you said in your video, like a parasocial relationship, sort of more based on like an individual's personality than a company logo or like a production company. Is, is that kind of correct? Absolutely. And, you know, although I was kind of like on the wrong end of this development, I mean, it is kind of cool. And I'm kind of like happy now that I'm like distanced from the whole thing that like, you know, in most industries or a lot of industries, you know, whoever throws the most amount of money at something wins. But that didn't happen here. Um, you know, like the big money, like the e like ESPN tried to create a channel like early on, um, you know, all the you know, money can't make you win on YouTube. And that's pretty amazing. Um, and, yeah. you know, YouTube has plenty of problems, but, um, you know, at least they, and a lot of YouTube is run now by these like old boomer Hollywood execs. But, and I do think that there's probably some like tipping the scale that like, you know, I think Jimmy Kimmel gets more views than he should and stuff like that. Um, 100%. I mean, because you can 100% pay Google ad buy to send people to your videos. That is a thing yeah. you can do. But also, like, the, mm -hmm. it's it's open news that, like, the trending page is completely curated. You know, there's yeah. nothing algorithmic about that. People are just picking stuff. So, I mean, it's got a lot of problems, but at least, you know, there are real new voices with unique perspectives that have arisen from YouTube uh, with no money. And, you know, that can never happen on television. That can never happen in, I mean, it can kind of happen in movies, like, you know, like little Robert Rodriguez type stuff. But it's it's very really cool. Yeah, yeah, and I, I I would also say that like um, 
this parasocial relationship is is interesting because um it really has started to affect games and i you know before i even get, get into that I, I would argue that like what was so interesting about wisecrack was it was always like jared from wisecrack and like wisecrack is still doing incredible since you've left but like like you even though the channel was called wisecrack people knew your name and yeah. i think that like have a, like watching a jared video like was a big thing to like commenters and people and like yes. so like even though the, the channel's title wasn't called jared bauer dot com or whatever or you know jacking it with jared it was like uh yeah, we'll it, was, it was jared from wisecrack and i think even then the parasocial stuff was totally bleeding into that enterprise oh, 100%. We get- and, and we were totally aware of it and you know we you know i mean we leaned into that deliberately you know um because we knew that that's what resonates on the platform Right. I remember distinctly a meeting with you and me and I think Alec and Jacob where it was decided that we were going to put you on screen a bunch more in videos. Right. Which is something no TV exec would have decided to be like, this guy doesn't even shampoo his hair. It's like, why are we, what are we doing here? But yeah, like on YouTube, it's like, no, we, we can't let him shower. Well, it's we like, have to yeah. put him on camera and he can't bathe. It's definitely, it's definitely like the Zizek charm, you know, like, sure. like, of course, sure. of, that guy is a fucking mess. Of course he's smart. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Before we move on from parasociality and, and get to, to Space Jam, which I do want to talk about because I have capital T thoughts about it. <laughs> yeah. um, parasociality also uh, has like this. It's like a double edged sword in a lot of ways. Obviously, Jared, you're acutely aware of this. Um, but like it's it's this weird thing where it creates these like hero versions of real people. And then the margin for error for those people becomes so bizarrely tiny. Um, or alternatively, it makes the people go crazy and they become like the most annoying possible versions of themselves. A la Travis McElroy. Um, I mean, it can go either way because I see creators who once they have their fan base, their fans like never abandon them, no matter like the vile shit that they do. I think it can go both ways. Yeah, no, totally. It, it's, it's, it's just this interesting thing where like the person that they're identifying with is never the actual person or anything even like particularly close to it. Well, that's what I'm trying. I'm trying to do that differently now, but you're right. Like Jared from wisecrack was like kayfabe Jared. I was playing a character to an extent and uh, not that that really bothered me. I mean, most YouTubers are playing a character. They just won't admit it to you. I mean, I know a handful that are extremely way more successful than I ever was. And yeah, I mean, like they're, you know, kind of like Woody Allen plays an exaggerated version of himself. Like most YouTubers are doing that. I mean, right. Because there's there's a wrestling thing like your best character is just yourself at 11. But I don't even mean like in terms of performance. I mean, in terms of like perception, like people, people's the way they think about you, irrespective of your performance, is like a thing they just make up because like they never actually know these people directly and they just fill in all the gaps and like fan fiction it out in their heads. And that's like the part that's really fascinating and bizarre to me. Um, yeah, like it's never just like, oh, I think this guy's cool. It's like, I like this person and I'm going to make up all the reasons why I like them, even if I don't know if they're true or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, I, and I guess, but if, uh, right as we, as right as we step off the parasociality train, I just did want to mention, I was thinking all about all this parasocialness and direct like relation to what's happening in, in video games right now with Final Fantasy 14. Jared, have you played Final Fantasy 14, right? At least a little bit. <laughs> yeah, baby. Level 55. Let's go. Active player. Active player. Yeah. Yes. I mean, and that this is, of course, like the ultimate parasocial story because literally one streamer decided to switch from WoW to this game and it's the biggest the game's ever been. Um, yeah. And I think we're going to start seeing that more and more um, in entertainment. Um, but I just I've never seen anything like this. 
Yeah, I mean, God, like Square just hit a home run in just a you know having a very simple Opus Motorandi, which is just like, hey, we're going to be nice to this streamer who has an enormous amount of power instead of Blizzard, who I don't know a lot about it, but I you know someone told me that they were just like generally a dick to him. Um, he's, I mean, he's just generally a guy who will talk shit for six hours on stream all day. And so I think that like he's a double edged sword for them where he's their greatest advertisement, but also like certain devs will like complain on forums about him. Yeah, well, I got news for you, devs. This is the new normal. Like, you know, this is only this is only going to get bigger. And you got to like deal with the fact (laughs) that like there's 24 seven basically like news coverage about your product. And that's that's a whole nother industry. And there's you know, you're going to have to deal with it. And it's not it's like Mm -hmm. it's news coverage that like isn't it's like the most intimate version of coverage where it's like, you're not just watching someone reporting on the thing. You're watching someone play it and experience its successes and failures like directly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which is pretty, pretty fucking raw. Well, I am a, I am level 39 white healer, white house mage. What is it? Uh, white white mage. hat mage. White mage. Um, uh, and uh, I'm incredible. I'm enjoying the game a lot. I will definitely be talking to you in the future, Jared, about the game. I'm a level 11 archer. F- and what, what level? What, what level? 11. Nice. Are y'all doing well? P- are y'all doing PC or PS4? Five PC baby. I'm playing on PS5 and I'm not engaging with anyone I know yet. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that's the problem. I'm doing it on PS4 and it's the same thing. Like, you know, there's like a, a party finder or whatever, but it's not the kind of social gaming experience you get on a PC. Yeah. I mean, there you can do headsets, right? I don't know. I don't have one. I, I don't know how that would work, though. I mean, I know that most people just communicate through Discord. That's true. You can, yeah, also, just do, true. You can also just do that. Have Discord up on your phone or some shit. I'm dude. You, you, you want to hop in the Choom Room Discord anytime? We'll get into a dungeon together. Easy mode. What um, what server are you on? But they don't they don't cross. There's no like, da- the data centers are cross play, and if we're not on the same data center, which mine is Crystal, um, then in the expansion comes out in November, and they're making everything cross play. Wow, that's awesome! If you yeah, guys are playing, cool. and, and I've already failed on this game because I'm bored of it, uh, I'll just come hang out. Nice. Um, well, we'll be sure to talk more about that in the future, Jared. Um, but we only have uh, 15 minutes left this episode, and that's <laughs> more than enough time to talk about Space Jam 2. Is Take it, it away. Um, all right. I'll just start with this. This movie is a fucking totem to everything that's wrong with the world that we live in. It is the it is. Not only is it absolute dog shit in the most annoying way ever, it is so fucking proud of itself for being absolute (laughs) dog shit. It is so happy about the idea that Warner Brothers owns everything and that they are only talking about their own properties and that they are self-sucking an endless Ouroboros of Warner Brothers bullshit. And then they look at you and they give a big thumbs up and say, yeah, the self-suck tastes good. Actually, we love it. Um, And it's infuriating. Everything, it's just like... It sent me into a rage. Like my emotional <laughs> bandwidth is very narrow and I got capital A angry. Like I said to Griffin, yeah. I felt a real emotion. You um, needed gamer wall in that moment. Yeah, I did um, need gamer wall. Yeah. Like let's focus. Let's be, let's zero in on that for a second. This, this idea of all the IP, Jared, what do you think about the IP? I mean, honestly, did you just go absolute like epic LOL OMG? Did you soy when you saw Pennywise the clown? <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say that like during the the end uh, basketball game, like it's just hard to pay attention to the plot because you're kind of looking at all the cosplay in the background. 
Um, it's visually stabbing my eyes. Yeah, it's like too much movement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, okay, so basically the, the whole second act of this movie is basically a series of uh, like integrated marketing TikToks. Like it's just like, okay, here's like a, a sketch with Looney Tunes characters in the matrix. And here's a sketch with Looney Tunes characters in LeBron in, you know, this Warner brothers thing and this Warner brothers thing. And it's really just like a series of gags that are really just kind of like memes of a mix between Warner brothers stuff and, you know, Looney Tunes, which I guess is still Warner brothers. But, um, like there was no, like the second act didn't have a lot of like, there were no obstacles necessarily to him building a team. It was just a series of like, gags and worlds he had to visit in order to get to the the game yeah it, it was it, it was bad and i was sort of confounded by this idea i was a little confused because the the person who is making all of the ip happen really is the villain so i so for a little bit you think oh well if the villain is the one in charge of like dowsing us in too much ip maybe the movie is going to make a statement about how that's wrong. You fucking think so. But then it was like, no, actually like it, that it's tangentially based. And like, I don't know, like it was just, it was so, it was weird. It, I was like, I was a little just thrown off by that. Cause it, it was like, all of this IP happens because a bad guy is doing it, but actually it's still cool. So like, what is the bad guy even doing wrong? Right. Well, cause it's the context is like the bad guys making it is like instrumentalizing it in this way that is like bad and gross or whatever. But the context of the movie is that the movie is doing that and it wants you to like it and it thinks it's all cool. Right. Um, and the it doesn't reckon with that in a meaningful way. There's like the Sarah Silverman thing, but that just feels self-congratulatory. Like, okay, mm -hmm. a good example of this is like in the first Space Jam, there's a scene where Daffy Duck reveals the Warner Bros. logo burned into his ass and then he bends over and kisses it in like a very like like I like satirically subservient kind of way. Um, and like, there's nothing with that energy in this movie. Yeah. There's nothing mm -hmm. that's like, we don't like that. This is what our lives are. Um, and that sucks because especially one big reason why I'm so mad about it, like more mad than I ever get on anything is that like, I fucking love Looney Tunes. Looney Tunes are incredible. They're the funniest things in the world. They are subversive. They are aggressive. Um, they have a voice and it's clear and it's wild and they invented punk. I mean, they're fucking pretty fucking punk rock. Yeah. Um, and this movie just sucks all of that out through a giant fucking Warner Brothers emblazoned straw and just like shits it in the garbage and just makes these like empty little husks of cartoons. There's like two good Looney Tunes bits in the movie, um, which is crazy because you have Looney Tunes to play with and like all the subversion and shit is just taken out of it. And it's just this giant celebration of corporate IP ownership and like extended universes. And that's like the thing yeah. least worth celebrating. I can possibly fucking imagine, which leads us to problem number two with the film. The Looney Tunes are barely in this movie. Yes. <laughs> like you, like you for, for a lover of Looney Tunes, the Looney Tunes don't appear for like 25 minutes. And then they're in a little bit of act two, but then there's a large second half of act two where they are not in it again. And it's, right. and it's pretty bizarre. Um, yeah. It's like the worst. It's like, 
instead of it being a movie about LeBron James and Looney Tunes, it's a movie about LeBron James and the Warner Brothers extended universe. And like, that's, mm-hmm. that's the problem. Like they think it's good that this thing exists. And it's like, it sucks. Like also in the fucking first one, they're doing Pulp Fiction riffs. They're doing Patton riffs. They're doing riffs on shit. That's not Warner Brothers, right? Like constantly in the first one. Um, but not in this one because it has to all be contained within the IP rights of this fucking studio. Um, sorry, I could talk about this for literally ever. I'm no, so I, angry. I mean, that's Jared, definitely, about that's definitely the thing to talk about. I mean, I, I think it's probably too charitable of a reading, but I kind of want to agree with Griffin in that, like the fact that the, the villain is named algae rhythm and that like, you know, in a sense, like tech is the enemy and uh, tech is the thing that makes it so that this movie is basically just a TikTok compilation rather than a movie. But I think that's probably like conspiratorial thinking for them to think that like, you know, they're victimizing themselves within the narrative of what the movie has to become. Uh, but uh, the second thing I was going to say, what God, what was the second thing I was going to say? Brain fart. Yeah, sorry. Um, I kind of, I kind of hashtag went off for a second. <laughs> oh yeah. That I remember. Was good. So I actually, what Lux is saying, I kind of suspected when I saw one of the YouTube trailers that came out like last week. And it was the first thing you see is LeBron James reacting to some kind of a portal. And he says, what in the matrix? First of all, nobody, <laughs> no, no, nobody says that. <laughs> nobody ever says what in the matrix. And yeah, as soon yeah, as they say what in the matrix two revolutions what, reloaded, no, what in the matrix reloaded is this. I, I mean, as soon as I heard that, I just, in my mind, I saw the image of a Warner brothers executive, like getting a phone call that Lana Wachowski is spending way too much money again. So we got to make sure that this new Matrix movie that's coming out in December, uh, you know, really hits. And so the Warner Brothers exec says, all right, we need to saturate Space Jam (laughs) with more Matrix stuff so that it's like reintegrated into the common conscious so we don't lose $100 million on a Lana Wachowski project again. I, I wish I was 82 years old in like a decrepit, like satin bed on a call about Lana. Damn, all the <laughs> producers' lives rock, man. Yeah, um, sounds great to be. Yeah, them. like uh, okay, so there, there's all of that, but then of course, you know, we we do have to also talk about the difference between Michael Jordan's performance and LeBron James' performance. Basketball stars on the big screen. Um, I was shocked that everything from the narrative to like even the camera angles introducing LeBron establish him as like a villain or like an antagonist to his son. Like he like is just like not someone you're rooting for for most of the movie. Yeah, it is a little weird in that respect. It's also, I mean, my observations much more a basketball fan thing. So I guess we can get to that in a second. But like, it is weird that they like, he's a dick to his kid and it's like, like for no reason. And it doesn't make him like, simple. like you could fr- like his thing about like, I wish he'd play basketball, not be a gamer is like, okay, like dude, that can be a sympathetic story, but he's like an asshole about it. Mm-hmm. Um, which is like, I mean, gamers are the most depressed class in the country. So like, obviously we should have seen it coming, but I, I think it's okay for like, for someone, for like a character to like have a flaw and need to like learn something. I think that's like, obviously, and like, like how you to be tell a story, and obvious, like, obviously like that's a kid's movie. So it's going to be a big, obvious idea. Like, Oh, like let your kid be who he wants to be. Um, but just something about LeBron's performance and sort of the scenes just like, just, we're just kind of off putting and awkward. And I was just like, it's just much better when Michael Jordan is just like, I don't know, just chilling well, and is, hanging with bugs. This speaks to why Le- 
putting aside whether LeBron is better than Jordan or whatever, that's a different discussion. LeBron will never be as cool as Michael Jordan for two very important reasons. One is that Michael Jordan is a disdainful man. Like he doesn't think anyone is as good as Michael Jordan or think and he thinks that anyone who thinks that they are at anything is a joke. And like that comes through in Space Jam. Like he is like snarky and like above it all with the with the Looney Tunes, like to the very end. At the end, he just tricks them and lies to get them to win. Like he's he's like a very above it all. And LeBron really wants to be like a man of the tunes and like Mm. is a lot more in it in this way that is like it doesn't feel disjunctive. And that's extra true because they animate him instead of having him be live action in the tune zone from the beginning. Why? And it's like, why? Why do they do that? That disconnect is clear. And then also throughout this movie, you can tell that LeBron is the kind of guy who goes out and spends $500 at a fancy restaurant with his friends, whereas Michael Jordan was the guy who would buy a fucking crate of tequila and cigars and get fucking ass hammered at a club and just be like a what and then like go home and gamble tens of thousands of dollars for no reason. Because he was cool. Yeah, you cool. get that from Space Jam 1. He was cool as shit. <laughs> well, no, it's, you don't get, you don't get that, but you get that distinction between the two kinds of guys. Um, from the two movies and like that's the thing is like you would never get the tequila LeBron photo that you had like you have the tequila Jordan photo I, I don't I think you I think you your real world knowledge might be bleeding slightly too much into this um, analysis but will I will agree with you on is that LeBron James performance is overly earnest in a way that is unsettling versus Michael Jordan's sort of more Jesus like holier than thou vibe in Space Jam right. 1 I mean, that's okay. what I'm getting at is that Michael Jordan's just so much cooler like in every yeah. way, like it's way cooler mm. to fucking get drunk and gamble than it is to go to a restaurant. It's way cooler to be Michael Jordan than it is to be <laughs> LeBron James. Um, uh, and like, that's just the way that it is. Um, look, I love gambling. We've talked about it on the show. Um, I think it's fun. And I think everyone, especially children, should do it. Um, that's right. You and Aiden Ross just teamed up. <laughs> yep. Uh, new collab. But like, that's this is my thing with this whole fucking movie is it's just like. There's nothing cool about it. There's nothing cool or weird or fun. It is just so anodyne and empty. And it's like two things I love. Probably top five things in the world to me are Looney Tunes and basketball. And this is a movie containing both those things. And I fucking hated it. (laughs) I would like to speak to the emptiness for a second because it does feel like, you know, it's like once these companies really own everything and have it all and have sort of crossed the threshold into becoming just ultimate owners of all content just how empty it feels like it it just felt very very soulless and very just like flattening emotionally it's so i mean i haven't seen the the first space jam in you know 25 years so it's hard for me not to at least suspect that it could just be nostalgia you know that that because in my mind like yeah first space jam just seemed so much more like a movie you know like it seemed like it was so much Mm -hmm. more uh, plot forward and you know there was just more going on uh, but that, that could just be you know the rose colored glasses I, I've watched it recently it's not that good but it is much more of a movie and it does have a little bit more of the Looney Tunes edge and it has a lot more Looney Tunes-ness to it Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a functional movie about Michael Jordan, who's like between careers, like he's playing baseball now and he's like not sure about like like who he is and who he should be. And like Bugs Bunny, meanwhile, like kidnaps him and like brings him along for an adventure. I think the scene that really brought things home for me in the original Space Jam is that everyone thinks that like if they drink the special Michael Jordan juice, that they will like get good at basketball. And so Michael Jordan like gives them all a swig, but it's actually like fake placebo and actually what it took was you for, for you to believe in yourself all along um and like 
uh, that even that kind of just nice basic message. There's just nothing like really like that comes close to that in this film. I think it's about like being nice to your son and letting your son do what he yeah. wants. It, but it's just so like sugar coated with so much bullshit that you can't even stomach it. Yeah. If I can. It, that's another thing, though, is that like that's the plot of every kid's movie now is that like there's a weird kid. And everyone thinks they're weird and have a problem. So they have to go yeah. away for a while. And then the people they went away from get in trouble. And it turns out the weird kid was the answer all along. That's every fucking kids movie. There are good versions of this, like Moana, for instance. There are also very bad versions of this that exist, like Space Jam 2. Um, and it's every fucking kids movie. And so another reason why Space Jam 1 feels so much better is that it wasn't the same kids movie as every other fucking kids movie. What do you guys think about Don Sheetle? Because... I just, you know, I was Based. so, I was so excited, so excited about him, you know, you know, after he got his, I don't know if he won the Oscar or got nominated and he was really just like one of the great up and coming actors. And I feel like in this movie, particularly, he wasn't menacing. He wasn't interesting. It was just, <laughs> he was just lame. I thought that to me, actually, I, I had the most fun. I had the opposite reaction. He was, I had the most fun when he's on screen. Cause he was giving like a, almost like a Tim and Eric bedtime stories kind of performance. It was so out there and so sort of frazzled. I felt like it's like what Tim Heidecker would do or something. Like it was totally his own movie and his own scenes. Uh, yeah. but I enjoyed it. I mean, I didn't enjoy it, but I did get that vibe that he was doing his own sort of thing. And I'm with you, Jared. I think John, T John Cheadle fucking right and has done so much cool stuff and he just seems to be getting so kind of like shunted aside for reasons that who knows i mean probably i mean there's obviously like race politics casting whatever age blah 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 blah, all these variables but it just feels like a waste because he's so good when he's like let allowed to like do his fucking thing yeah i i also think that you know some of the best actors they just and, and this also is something that is completely reasonable you know some actors just don't work out as well when all they have to do is show up at a green screen in Burbank and emote in front of a green screen, you know, True. like, yep. um, yep. you know, acting is reacting. And I think that, you know, I think I, maybe even in this podcast, I brought up Eddie Redmayne in the last Wachowski movie, Jupiter ascending, like what an incredible oh, yeah. actor, what a horrible performance. Like he really just looked stupid. Yeah. I mean, it's a fun performance because of how big it is, but it is weird and bad. Yeah. Um, and like, yeah, totally. I mean, this is like this gets to like my life, like constant disdain for J.J. Abrams, because there's a classic J.J. Abrams story about like Chris Pine runs in front of a blue screen and J.J. Abrams is like, OK, you have to run in. The ship's freaking out. Uh, just like say some stuff. You're you're scared. That's going to blow up and then we're going to cut. And he's like, OK, what's going on with the ship? Why is it freaking out? Like, what things do I see? And he's like, don't worry. And, and, and J.J. Abrams is like, oh, my God. Like, actually, you are though. such a drama queen. Like, actually, he's like, don't worry about that. It doesn't matter. It's just it's, it's, it's happening. And you're just freaking out about it. And that's fine. It's like, no, like you can't just have people acting that way. And I think you're totally right, Jared, that that like diminishes the quality of the acting so much because there is nothing to react to. And there's no like sense of place or like sense of like. It's like, I don't know. I've done that's acting why, on that's set. That's why light walls are going to be awesome because like Mandalorian used only light walls so the actors could see the settings they were in. Yeah, because it's good to get lost. In, like, you're, like part of acting is playing pretend. And like it's important to get lost in playing pretend to make it feel real. I think real. we all talked about this on King Kong too. I think we did. <laughs> I think we talked this oh, exact yeah, combo. I, yeah, I, I thought it sounded familiar. 
That's why I burned through the J.J. Um, Abrams thing. But before we just start do- looping old meta, um, Jesus Christ. Jared, I have to go. Yeah, yeah, This was lovely. I would love to talk to you more about Final Fantasy XIV in the future. Um, but please, before you leave us, tell us about this new YouTube channel. Tell us where you, where we can find it and how we can develop like a parasocial relationship where like I tell my friends about you and like I, t- I act like we're friends. Um, I, I like DM you all the time, that kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, so the YouTube channel is just my name, Jared Bauer. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know if there's a YouTube.com slash whatever, but you just Google my name. And I've only got one video up, which is really just a kind of me reintroducing myself and saying what's going on in my life and what this channel is going to be. And my channel is going to be very much a continuation of some of the similar things that I did at Wisecrack. So I'll be talking about, you know, movies and TV and philosophy. But what I won't be doing is I won't be talking about things that I don't care about. So for example, like I don't care about Marvel movies. You're probably not going to see me make a Marvel thing, you know, even though it's very popular. Um, and, um, you know, other than that, I'm looking to, you know, it's going to be a a hobby this time, you know, and, um, it's also going to be part travel vlog because I'm moving to Finland and, uh, you know, I'm hoping to kind of spread my, uh, reactions to Finland and my insights to the world. So yeah, if you like travel vlogs, if you're interested about what it's like living in a Nordic country, and if you like, um, and if you want to hear me and Lux scream at each other about James Lindsay at some point, you know, go ahead and subscribe. Yeah. I'm always, <laughs> I'm, I know shit. I'm totally serious about making a cursed book club with the three of us and maybe a few other people I'm, that we I'm, do. I'm, I'm, ready. I'm fine. ready. I mean, just, you know, like, Come on, Lux. We have to do every Jordan Peterson Lux, book. Lux, you have, to, I mean, you have to do the hot ones. You have to promise me you won't ever call me a grifter if we disagree. Because, you know, despite we may disagree on a lot of things, I mean, I, I uh, believe in your integrity just because I know yeah. you. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to call you a grifter. Um, I'll just call you wrong about shit because people are wrong about shit all the time. Even people I, I like are we, wrong if, about if, shit all the time. If we title it like cursed books. Except, well, except you, except you, apparently. <laughs> oh, no, I'm wrong about shit all the time. Okay, then we it, can get along. I, I'm not afraid to be wrong. It's easy to be wrong. Yeah, it's we fun are wrong and constantly. <laughs> I think if it's like a title is like cursed books by grifter dudes, then then it's perfect. I think you can't. No one can get mad at us then. Um, yeah, no. Uh, Jared, I'm wrong all the time. More often than I'm right. Um, probably. Yeah, uh, that, that, that's a good posture to maintain. Yeah, no, I'll own that. I love to be wrong about shit because that's how I end up being right about shit down the line eventually. Theoretically, yeah, hopefully. For sure. Um, dare, well, yeah, dare dude, thanks, thanks, thanks for the uh, invite, guys, even though I kind of invited myself on. But uh, yeah, I just hadn't spoken to you guys in a while. And uh I love the bro downs. Yeah, no, we nice. love to, we love to have you on a bro down. Uh, Griff real quick. Why don't you throw your, your Oh, do you want to just do the like quick plug thing that I wrote that we do now? Uh, no, uh, yo, uh, t- I'm on TikTok now. Oh, uh, yeah, that's my, my video, my video blew up. I'm a TikToker. Uh, TikTok.com slash Griffin P Davis. Get there before others. Thank you. Uh, otherwise, here's the thing that I've started that I have written down. Make sure to check out Haley on Instagram and YouTube at Eat Every Sound. You can find Griffin on Twitter at Griffin P. Davis and on Twitch at twitch.tv slash chimroom. As for me, you can find the videos that I direct at Wisecrack at, at on Wisecrack on YouTube. Uh, you can find me streaming Shin Megami Tensei with our friend Forrest Walker on twitch.tv slash Forrest G. Walker. You can find me on Twitter at tail underscore boy, B-O-I. And of course, Party World Wrestling exists and we are coming back. So please stay 
tuned for more of that. You can follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, at Party Death Cult, cult spelled K-V-L-T, and also on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Party World Wrestling. Um, that is us for this week. It's so good that I wrote that down. It makes things so much more efficient. It's I'm fucking clapping. king shit. Honestly, writing shit down rules. Um, Three years later, we got it. Hey, yeah, we could have had this, this note stock years ago. Oh, and we never introduced Haley. Haley, this episode was produced by Haley. Yeah, uh, absolute hero, the true the true protagonist of the podcast. Um, Jared, it was fucking awesome to talk to you. Uh, have fun in Finland. We'll try and do this again soon. And we should definitely try and do some yelling about books on the internet somewhere in the future. Cool, dude. It was a blast. Thanks again, guys. Thank you. Goodbye, friends. <laughs>